We read from the Holy Scriptures this evening from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 6. <clears throat> Matthew, chapter 6. Our text this evening is found in verse 24 of this chapter. This is a portion of Christ's Sermon on the Mount. We hear the Word of God in Matthew, chapter 6. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward." But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward." But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But... If thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So far we read from God's holy word. As I said, our text this evening is found in this passage, Matthew 6, verse 24. Verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, as was said, our text is part of the Sermon on the Mount, better spoken of as the Sermon on the Kingdom, that is, the Kingdom of Heaven. It only stands to reason that the Lord Jesus would warn us in this sermon regarding worldly-mindedness. That's really what our text and the previous verses, as well as the following context, are all about. In this section of which our text is a part, Jesus warns us about our attitude toward the world. We are not to set our hearts upon the earthly. We are not to serve mammon. We are not to be anxious about the necessities of life. We are to seek first that kingdom which is heavenly. Jesus says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. And obviously we must avoid interpreting this only with respect to money the word treasures is a very inclusive term. It includes money, but it means something much more significant. It's not what you have or don't have, not how much you have, but it's what you think of your possessions. It's your attitude, your whole attitude towards life in the midst of this world. And the Lord Jesus is warning against a man confining his ambition, his interests, his hopes to this life. From that viewpoint, those of us who have but little money need this exhortation about not laying up treasures as much as those who have much. We all have treasures. Maybe it's our family, our home, our job or career, our business, our education, our position. Whatever it is, it stops with this life and this world. Perhaps today we could well read this verse, lay not up for yourselves pleasures upon earth. Think of entertainment, sports, how easily they can begin to dominate in our lives. Why this warning? For this reason, Jesus says, that moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. It's that simple. 
There's an element of decay in all these earthly things. They simply don't last. And thus these things never fully satisfy. And further, we soon, to one extent or another, begin to tire of them. We may enjoy them for a while, but sooner or later, somehow we lose interest in them. And that's why we are always inclined to seek something new, something bigger, something better, new styles, new fashions, new thrills. We can see it from our children as they grow and develop. It's one thing after another. Perhaps it's a new bike, but then one day it may be a dirt bike or a motorcycle, a car, a truck, a boat, another toy. As age advances, these things cease to hold that significance and to satisfy. For the fact about these things is that they inevitably perish. And they can disappear so rapidly. Moth and rust doth corrupt them. Thieves can break through and steal. Illness, injury, financial hardship, finally death, threaten these things, the earthly things. But of course the spiritual danger involved in laying up treasures upon earth is even more serious. For Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. For these earthly things begin to take hold of us, and we set our hearts upon them, and the treasures below become the goal in life. And they begin to captivate our thinking and our willing and our activity our whole life. We love these treasures. We may pretend that yeah, we only like them, but we love them. And so we need face the questions implied here in what the Lord Jesus says. How is your eyesight? How do we look at things? Do we see all things with what Jesus calls the single eye? That is, the eye of the spiritual man who sees things as they really are in the light of God's word? Or is our eye evil? Or do we have double vision, spiritually speaking? Is it cloudy, blurry, tainted with certain lusts and desires? Here too, there's nothing new under the sun. Jesus in this passage warns against the love of money, possessions, the things of this world, and we learn much from history's light, too. In the book of Joshua, we are told of the sin of Achan that caused the defeat of the armies of Israel at Ai. Achan, you recall, had taken of the forbidden things of Jericho, city whose walls came tumbling down. Achan had taken a beautiful Babylonian garment and gold and silver. He had hidden them under his tent. But the judgment of God came upon Achan and his household. In the early church following Pentecost, think of the couple, husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira, who lied to the apostles, but ultimately to the Holy Spirit. They lied about money, pretending they had given the full price for the sale of their land. The Apostle Paul wrote in one of his epistles about a young man named Demas. Demas, who he said, hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. That was Demas having loved this present world. We see the same problem today. When 
People direct all their efforts at amassing the monies of this world, the possessions, accumulating earthly things. Their lives may be given over to greed and covetousness. We've no doubt heard of those who have been swallowed up by the evil of gambling. Really lost everything. Destroyed their lives. No wonder Paul wrote to Timothy to remind him that the love of money is the root of all evil. But we must also understand that in very subtle ways, mammon intrudes upon and influences our lives. We are called to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Then our heart will be there. If we are citizens of the kingdom, it must be If our heart has been touched by the power of the irresistible grace of God, we will more and more be guided in the way of righteousness and holiness, and our eye will be single toward the things that pertain to the kingdom of heaven and the glory of our God. We will be spiritually minded more and more. But Christ goes into the relationship that we must have to the things of this earth a little bit deeper still in the words of our text. No man can serve two masters. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. What a soul-searching truth. We can hearken back to The words of Joshua to the children of Israel in Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, Choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it's in this light that we would consider our text this evening under the theme, God or Mammon. We notice that these are two distinct masters. Secondly, that they are mutually exclusive masters. And finally, the spiritual significance. No man can serve two masters. Notice how Strongly and emphatically, the Lord puts this. He speaks of masters and of serving. These are the expressive terms he uses in order to impress upon us the terrible control that mammon tends to exercise over us. Are we aware of the awful power of worldliness? God and mammon are both masters, according to Christ. Now, mammon is a difficult word to define. It's a rather indefinite term. Mammon was a word used to refer to material possessions, but it had come from a Hebrew root word meaning to entrust or to place in someone's keeping. And so it referred to wealth or possessions that was entrusted to another for safekeeping. And when a bad or negative sense was meant, a qualifying word was added. You have the expression, for example, the mammon of unrighteousness. But the word came to have the active sense of that in which a man trusts. 
And so it took on an entirely bad meaning. It even, even came to be spelled sometimes with a capital M as designating a god, that is, an idol. Obviously, then, it refers to our attitude toward the earthly. Mammon refers to earthly possessions of all sorts, money, property, things, anything earthly in which people place their trust. Essentially, Christ uses the term to reflect back upon the treasures that are earthly, whatever they may be. That's mammon. That treasure becomes a lord or master. People place their trust in mammon. Their money, their investments, their careers, their earthly honor and fame, all these things and much more. How can it be? Everyone knows that the things of this earth, whatever they may be, stand at our disposal. There's nothing wrong with things in themselves and our money and the conveniences and even the luxuries it affords us are for us. We use these things for our benefit and they serve us, don't they? We don't serve them, do we? How does mammon become the master of people? Let us remind ourselves that beneath all this is the spiritual. Again, Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And ultimately, our heart is in one of two conditions. It is either a hard and stony heart, or by the grace of God, it is a heart of flesh. Our heart is a heart that is or is not regenerated. The heart that has not been born again and is therefore hard as rock motivates one's whole life toward iniquity and sin. Out of the heart are all the issues of life. And as we saw this morning, because of the fall and the entrance of sin into this world, the heart of man, apart from the grace of God, stands in absolute slavery to sin. And mammon is their master. That's not a big debate. Follow the money, is the expression. People are driven by the lusts of the flesh and the lusts of the eyes and the vain glory of life. And their whole life and desire, will, captivated by the things that are earthly. They are in the grasp of an earthly treasure. It is their master. And that's what we can see all around us. Greed and envy and covetousness. People driven and completely captivated by their lust after the earthly. These things rule in their lives. They are completely devoted to mammon. That's all they live for. Mammon has become the Lord in their lives. It dictates to them what they shall do or what they shall not do. It's so true that people will lie and cheat and steal and murder, do anything to acquire the things of the earth. They will sell their very soul for a morsel of bread, though they may claim to be in charge, though they may claim to rule their own individual estates or kingdoms, in reality, they are ruled by mammon. That's their one Lord and master. 
beloved, even as those with, by the grace of God, hearts of flesh, those who have been given new life in Jesus Christ, those who by grace love and serve the living God, we must realize the danger. For though our heart has been changed, though principally we are delivered from the power of sin, yea, the power of mammon, by Christ, through his Spirit, yet as long as we live this present life, we still contend with that sinful nature, that old man of sin. And we must realize that our sinful nature would have us serve mammon. You know it and I know it. By nature, we're inclined to love the world and the things of the world. And we're inclined to the loss of the flesh and the loss of the eyes and the pride of life. And we must do battle against these all our life long. Don't underestimate the power of mammon. It may be very subtle, but its influence is there in our lives. Mammon is a terrible danger. Mammon is a dreadful master. The other master is God. The true and living God, the triune God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the sovereign God of heaven and earth. He is the creator and sustainer of the universe who holds all things in his hands and rules in and through his exalted Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. God is Lord and Master. He told the children of Israel, as we heard again this morning, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And though the nations rage and the kings imagine vain things, the Lord God shall hold them in derision. He shall laugh at their foolish imaginations, as Psalm 2 tells us. God demands our wholehearted service and worship. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thyself any graven image or the likeness of anything in the heavens above or in the earth beneath or in the waters under the earth. As God spake unto Moses, and now Israel what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Yes, God demands our all. Wholehearted service and devotion. As our Lord Jesus summarized the law, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. Jesus said, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And so we hear that soul-searching declaration. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. We cannot have two masters. It is one or the other. This is something antithetical. There is yes to one, there is no to the other. They are mutually exclusive. Whom do you serve? The one will not share you with the other. No matter how hard we may try to split our allegiance, it simply can't be done. 
We cannot in reality straddle the fence here, so to speak. With regard to earthly matters, we may be able to do that. For example, one can have a regular job and and then put in some extra hours with a part-time job, moonlighting on the side. One can devote himself to several different interests or hobbies at the same time. But this will not work from a spiritual point of view. True materialism is always atheistic. And being a child of God always transcends the earthly. Of course, people have and will continue in their vain attempts to roll these two into one. Sadly, we sometimes try that too. The attempt is very subtle to understand. The attempt to do service and to give allegiance to God and mammon, to serve two masters. And there are those who call themselves Christians who can no more be shaken loose from their earthly treasures and possessions than a hungry lion from his prey. They may set their feet toward church, God's sanctuary, but their heart and their mind remain outside the door, busy with their daily affairs and their business. Some may appear quite charitable. They give a certain amount of their treasured wealth to the causes of the kingdom, and they think that makes everything all right with God. Or, if one has but little, he may put the church and the kingdom causes on the list, Near the bottom, of course, if there's anything left, then God can have that. Oh, we have to be so careful of such self-deceit. It creeps in so easily. There's an illustration that makes that point rather powerfully. It's like the farmer who one morning joyfully announced to his family that their best cow had given birth to twin calves, one white and one red. And the farmer was so overjoyed that he told his wife, I'm going to dedicate one of these calves to the Lord. The profit from one of the calves would in the end be donated to the church. The farmer's wife repeatedly asked, well, which calf is the Lord's? But he always brushed her off. Oh, it makes no difference. We treat them both the same. But one day, the farmer entered the house, somber-faced, and announced that he had some bad news. He announced it's very sad, but the Lord's calf died. And his wife asked, well, how do you know which is the Lord's? And he replied, oh, I had decided all along that the white calf was the Lord's. And yes, it's very sad, but the Lord's calf died. And that's often the way it goes. It's the Lord's calf that dies. When money becomes tight and times are not quite so prosperous, can be the causes of the kingdom that suffer. And we rationalize and we think, if if only I can get a, a bit better price for my product, if only I can get a, a decent raise, if only this business deal goes through, then I'll have something for the Lord. Think of the words of the prophet Malachi, how he rebuked the people for robbing God. Robbing God. Instead of the best of the flock, they brought the sick and the lame 
for the altar. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Everything we have must be pressed into the service of God with a view to his kingdom. Jesus says, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. No matter how hard one tries, that's the inevitable result. And notice again, it's first of all a spiritual matter. And the spiritual affects the outward activity. If one tries to serve God and mammon, he will find inevitably that he begins to love one master and begins to hate the other. That's the way it is from the viewpoint of the heart. That's first. And to drive that spiritual aspect home, Christ uses here a strong word for love. This, you see, is not just an affection, a a liking, but a deep love. One deceives himself if he thinks he can disprove this fundamental proposition. For a while, and that in all seriousness, we may think that we can do justice to both masters. And we try to lead a life with a divided allegiance. At least intellectually, we serve and worship God. Outwardly, we may appear very pious and godly, while at the same time, we are cleaving with all our might and main to the earthly. And they are a big part of our life. For a time, it may seem that we're successful in satisfying these two opposing masters. At least, we think we are. But sooner or later, we find there's a polarization in our life. We are drawn toward the one master and away from the other. Gradually, we get sick and tired of the demands of the one master, and we begin to hate him. Now, you understand that this was not true principally from the outset. It was so all along. But finally, the love for one grows stronger, and the hatred toward the other intensifies. There's a spiritual progression in our life, one way or the other, because we cannot serve God and mammon. And Christ adds to this the practical implication of the spiritual attitude. He will hold to the one and despise the other. For the heart is always, sooner or later, betrayed in our walk and life. James understood this and makes reference to this very thing in his epistle. He says, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Why? Because faith without works is dead. So also, love without service is dead. A farce. It doesn't exist. Hatred must always show itself in a despising. And love must always show itself in service. We can document that from our own life and experience. He who loves the Lord with all his heart and soul and mind and strength though he has the same flesh and the same inclination toward earthly things as the ungodly man, will nevertheless find himself more and more departing from the earthly and cleaving to the spiritual. You can see it, for example, in the quite natural process of spiritual growth and maturing. A young man may stand in all his youthful vigor and dream of making something 
of himself according to the standards of this world. He may have big plans and serious goals, become a financial success, have a dynamic career, become an intellectual with a PhD or what have you. But he finds as a child of God that though through his spiritual maturing, he becomes more and more weaned away from the things of this earth and is drawn closer and closer to his Lord. So much so that at the end of his pilgrim's journey, he is completely ready to relinquish all grasps upon the earthly and is eager to possess that heavenly inheritance. But the opposite is also quite true. As love for God grows, so also with regard to the wicked, the hatred for him increases. Lust has an insatiable appetite in the ungodly. The desire after the things of this earth will never give to the living God even a fraction of what is rightly his. And the lusts of the earthly and the flesh exercises itself in greed. Often people, when they get a taste of wealth and fortune of this earth become so enamored with it that they forget about God, compromise their principles, forsake the faithful church for the sake of career opportunities and the like. To serve the master of mammon is in effect idolatry. Oh, we might be swift to object. Oh, I would never bow down to my earthly possessions. But God is a jealous God, jealous of his glory and honor. He alone is worthy of and deserves all our praise and allegiance. And his demand upon us is not partial. He demands our all. With all that we are, with all that we have, we must strive to live in obedience and service to him. All that we are and all that we have is to be pressed into the service of his name and kingdom. And if we would exclude him from anything, we rob him of his rightful due. When we bow down in allegiance to else beside God, we are guilty of the sin of idolatry. And that temptation is very near. It's so easy for us to try to separate things, compartmentalize our lives, and we rationalize, well, this is business. I don't, I don't mix religion in with that. Keep these things separate. But it really means that God rules in one domain of my life, but in this other realm, a different set of rules applies. A different master rules. But of course, we know that religion is not something that's tacked on in the Christian life. It's not set aside for one day of the week. Then you have a pretense of God and mammon. And Christ says it can't be done. The one or the other demands complete allegiance. And we will find in our experience that both are intolerant of the other. God is jealous of his glory and honor. And the lust of the flesh begrudges it if you attempt to give even a formal sacrifice to God. Our calling is clear. It's one of two ways, God or mammon. No matter how hard we would try, we cannot satisfy both. Unbelieving hypocrites, though they would seek to 
satisfy their conscience, will hear the words of Christ, I never knew you. Depart from me. We sin grievously when we refuse to subject all and everything in our life to God. We must devote our time, our talents, our possessions unto his service. There ought to be no question as to the purpose of these earthly things in our lives. God is a jealous God. He will have no other gods before him. And in the second place, beloved, let us look to the Savior. Our Lord Jesus Christ is perfect in obedience. Concerning him it is written, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Jesus himself testified, I came not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And all his life long he walked in perfect obedience. The command that God gave him to execute he has fully realized. He walked in obedience even to the cruel and shameful death of the cross for us to satisfy for our sin and disobedience. And that obedience was rewarded in that God raised him from the dead, exalted him above all. And so it is that our righteousness is in Christ. As the Apostle Paul puts it so beautifully in Philippians 3, verse 9, concerning Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God through faith. So we see that our obedience is possible only in Christ. Obedience is a gift of grace bestowed through Christ upon his own. More and more he delivers us from the power of sin, creates within us a new heart, leads us by his spirit and word in the paths of obedience. As the apostle tells the Ephesians in chapter 2, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And our rebellion and stubborn resistance to his ways are broken down. We joyfully more and more walk in the Lord's ways, forsaking the world crucifying our old nature, walking in a new and holy life. That doesn't mean our Christian life becomes easy. A bed of roses, to the contrary, it remains a struggle. The battle of faith each day again. But it is in that way that we are mindful that the Lord is with us, equipping us for that battle. Indeed, we have a cross to bear, denying ourselves, suffering for Christ's sake. But that's the way of true blessedness. We read in 1 John 2, verse 17, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Doing the will of God, we seek not mammon, but the kingdom of God and his righteousness in all of life. And we strive to labor faithfully in our daily callings, that not that we might serve mammon, but that we might glorify our God with all the things of this life. And in that way, we do not worry about the necessities of life. 
That's the context. What we're going to eat or drink or put on. We learn from the birds and the lilies of the field and the grass. Father cares for all these creatures. Will he not much more care for his people? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Beloved, don't become a slave to mammon. Let us live in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Don't be a slave to things that were meant to serve you and to help you in your service to God. Don't be dominated by them. Don't be mastered by them. It's a terrible thing to see things that were meant to minister become a master. For we realize, do we not, what the end of mammon is? Utter ruin. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Mammon is total loss. To the extent that we are living to serve mammon, the word of God is be humbled. Repent. And then with wholehearted resolve, may we together say with Joshua of old, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Most merciful and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy word how needful it is unto us in the times in which we live. And we pray for the working of thy Spirit. Ever soften our hearts, humble us before thee. Grant that more and more we may serve thee. Yea, that we may flee from the master of mammon. May thy name receive the praise, honor, and glory. We ask it with the remission of our sins for Jesus' sake. Amen.